Welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. The Safe Haven Podcast is a space for you to be real, raw, emotional, vulnerable, hilarious, and or completely carefree. This podcast offers a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life in a judgment-free zone. Join me and my powerful guests as we dive into a variety of conversations and topics. Listen from where you are, as you are. Think, laugh, and cry along with us, whether you're in the car, in your kitchen, chasing your kids, running your business, caregiving for someone that you love, getting a mani-pedi while you're in the hospital, a treatment center, sitting on the deck, on the dock, or out for a run. These weekly stories and messages will hit you right in the heart, fill up your cup, and recharge your spirits. Joining me today is my new friend. Her name is Ashley Mariani. She is a clinical social worker, and she's going to elaborate much more on what else she does, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thank you for joining Hi. me. I'm so I'm so stoked. So actually, we are sitting in Ashley's house yes. in Fergus. Yes. And do you want to, you tell them how we met. I like this. Um, well, you said that I reached out to you, but I thought you reached out to me, and I can't remember. I think you asked me about, you're like, hey, I'm new oh. to podcasting. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I kind of said like... I need some help with podcasting because I was setting up my own podcast and I was wondering like where you got your information from. That's right. And I just admitted to you, I was like, girl, I'm winging it. I'm honestly winging it. Yeah. And then I think too that when the actual, hi, Silas. So Silas just popped around the corner. Silas is uh, Ashley's son. Very yeah. sweet. Just came in to make sure that everything's on track, that we're behaving. Yes. Right. Just checking things yes. out. So anyway, yeah. So you did. You reached out and you're like, hey, how's it going? Um, I just literally told you that I was yes. winging it. I think the intro obviously just elaborates a little bit on the fact that I was. I was winging it. Yeah. I had this idea. I wanted to make it happen. I called Cole. He's like, Lytle, you can borrow my mic. Here it is. I'll send it in the mail or whatever. It ended up coming down with a friend of mine. And then even through the Spotify, Apple Podcast, yeah. Podbean, all of that kind of stuff. So we we clicked though. Yeah, yeah. Immediately. And um, and then, yeah, just from there. Um, so tell me a bit, even just before we kind of go back to your timeline, your story timeline. Yeah. Um, what is your, well, we'll come back to your podcast, but tell us a little bit about even why you had reached out. Cause you're starting one. Yeah, I'm starting one. Um, why I reached, do you want me to talk about the podcast? Yeah, give her. Okay. Um, so I recognize that there's, again, there's people out there that have stories, but then I also know that there's this way of living life that isn't mainstream, mm-hmm. but that is, helping people thrive and feel good and live their best life and is focused on wellness. And so my goal was to talk about all of these concepts and interview some of these professionals who are helping people live their best life. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the episodes are essentially me talking about um, different topics that come up in therapy with clients. And then other episodes are me interviewing professionals like chiropractors. Um, I have a psychic that I interviewed, um, naturopathic doctors. I have a um, personal trainer coming up who lived with depression for his whole life and Mm -hmm. uh, suffered um, with thoughts of suicide as well. So kind of similar in that people are sharing their stories, really focused on this idea of wellness um, and getting better and, um, and normalizing 
issues that come up for lots of people, but we just don't talk about them. So these, even just the lingo, yeah, just like, the language of it. We need to just normalize yes. that so that it can come up naturally and organically in conversation. Yeah, and and so these topics, what I call like unspeakaboutables. And um, so essentially the premise of the podcast is deconstructing mainstream views of relationships with ourselves, others, mm. and our environments. So how to have a relationship with yourself, how to mm. have a relationship with other people in your life, and how to have a healthy relationship with your environment. Right. Yeah. I love that a lot. Yeah. Thanks. So your podcast has started? Well, I've, I, I started recording. I have yet to pull the trigger. You were just like, you're, you insp- every time you release an episode, I'm like, oh, she's so inspiring. Oh, I, thank I you. I need to get one out there. Oh, I appreciate that so much. <laughs> and it's so, it's so wonderful too. The feedback that I've been getting has just fueled my fire, yeah. you know? And even listening, I mean, I'm congested right now. And I know that even listening to this back, I'm going to be hard on myself. But I know that the messages that we're about to get out to everyone... That's what, that's what matters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So take us back. So where did your timeline take you? Or, you know, what was your life timeline to get you where you're at right now? Yes. So I'm a therapist. And I kind of always knew that I wanted to be a therapist. So mm-hmm. I grew up in a very privileged family. I am a white, heterosexual, cisgender female. Mm-hmm. I am highly educated. Like, my, I grew up in a rural community, but I... You know, I got the vacations every summer, mm-hmm. got, had the cottage. So I am very privileged. And mm-hmm. I just kind of, I, I when I tell my story, I, I make that noted that I am privileged and I'm coming from this perspective. Um, and when you say educated, nine years of university is unreal. Yeah, yes, yeah like yeah, kudos. Yes, thank you. And I had like the piano lessons and the skiing lessons. Mm-hmm. And, and so like I, I don't ever um, take that for granted at mm-hmm. all. Um, and I grew up in a family where my parents were married, but there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of conflict in my home. My dad was a small business owner. He owned an electrical company. My mom, um, in her younger years was an artist and, and married my dad after a few failed relationships. Um, and I, you know, I don't ever figure my dad is going to listen to this podcast, but, um, Knowing what I know now, I would, I mean, the term narcissistic personality disorder gets thrown around left, right, and center, especially mm-hmm. in the world of therapy. I have clients coming in all the time saying their partners are narcissists. And, and, but if we, if we break it down and we want to work with labels, um, my father would fall into the narcissistic personality disorder mm-hmm. category. But the problem with narcissists, real narcissists are that they, uh, there's not much data on them because they have to admit that they're narcissists in order for like assessments to happen and screening to happen and research to be called. Of course not. Cause there's nothing wrong with them nope. in their eyes. So, um, I, he was very strict. Uh, I wasn't allowed dating, wasn't allowed wearing makeup, wasn't allowed cutting my hair. Um, so I lived this life of secrecy mm. the best that I could. I learned to lie really quickly. Mm. Um, I learned to suffer in isolation because I had nobody to turn to or nobody to talk to about it. Right. Um, he was kind of like mean and strict. So my friends never wanted to come over cause I didn't like spending time with him. Um, and so my refuge was with my maternal grandmother in her home. And it was just kind of like the freeing place where there was no judgment mm-hmm. and we could be in the pool and, and we could tell her things. And she just, you know, she had the concerned look on her face, but she always loved us. And she always gave us hugs and kisses and everything was all good. Um, 
And now knowing what I know now, so working in domestic violence for five years clinically, I can easily recognize the, you know, emotional and mental abuse that was happening between my parents. And so I was really hard on my relationship with my mom for a really long time. And uh, I would say things like, you have no backbone, you don't stand up to him, like speak your voice, stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's just not who my mom was. That's that, that my mom just became a shadow of a person because it was just safer. And the less turmoil that was happening in the home, um, the safer it was for her kids. And then this fear also, if she decided to leave him or stand up to him, then he would do everything in his power to ensure that she didn't have custody of mm-hmm. her children and things right. like that. So looking back now, I like I feel so much guilt and, and remorse for you know, how I almost feel like I bullied my mom during a time when she was so vulnerable and scared and just trying her best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then having to deal with these really harsh expectations of having dinner on the table when he came home from work and having a clean house. And, and her refuge was her horses. So we were lucky enough to have the money where she could get the horses. And so she would spend time out in the barn. And, and so um, in all of this secrecy of my life, I started dating at a really young age, 14 years old. I had like my first boyfriend and he was several years older than me and he came from an extremely dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. And so um, when I would tell my parents I was going over to friends' houses, it would always be friends whose parents agreed that my parents should let me have a boyfriend. So they had no problem with my boyfriend coming over to their wow. house. Yeah. Um, and. And so what ended up happening was that this then manifested into a very abusive relationship, physically, emotionally, mentally. I went through a lot of things in isolation that my parents still don't know about and I would like prefer them not to know because mm-hmm. I would never want them to think it was their fault. Right. Um, so this young man who now looking back, I know struggled with his own demons, just Mm -hmm. had nowhere else to release his frustration. So I was the easiest target and it developed this codependency and I really didn't think I was worth much in life if he didn't like me or if he didn't love me or if he rejected me. And so that kind of set the tone for a lot of things going forward in my life, my mm-hmm. sexuality, um, my self-confidence, my self-worth, um, my social anxiety, everything, my ability to make friendships. Cause I had lost all my friendships to focus on this one person. Mm-hmm. And, um, how long did you date? So from grade nine and then he ended up getting a DUI in when I was in second year university and um, totaled his car and had no way of getting to my apartment. And so it was like an hour-ish drive to where I lived and he had no way of getting there. So it was my out. It was my final Mm -hmm. ability to say like, I can finally now be safe. Um, So from grade nine to second year university. Wow. And I guess too, having started your schooling in psychologies and stuff too, it's probably bringing an awareness to things that you felt were your red flags, but now you're actually seeing the science right behind it. And it's the intuition. It's your gut. Like Mm. I, I knew that my, 
I knew that the universe led me in this direction to do my own healing. Mm -hmm. Um, But once I was healed and once I was recovered and could move on and not have my story affect the work that I did, but Mm -hmm. also give me some insight to help, um, that I could do great things for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so that, you know, I've come to a place in my life where I think back with like compassion and empathy for that person Mm -hmm. and the things that he went through in life um, to to have behaved the way he behaved. Um, And I always have these moments of curiosity where I wonder, you know, how is he doing in life? Mm -hmm. And I hope he's happy and I hope that there was growth and insight on his end. Um, But I don't I don't hold any resentment or anger towards him because it serves no purpose for me at this point in my life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess the other piece to it all was that I felt very, um, stunted in owning my body because of the physical abuse that happened. I didn't feel like I had much ownership of my body. And so sexuality to me was very curious. I, I wanted to read about it and understand it, but I knew I didn't feel like I had much autonomy when it came to my own sexuality and my Mm -hmm. own body. So my goal in life was to be a sex therapist because again, this was my way of obtaining the information that I needed Mm -hmm. to feel, um, more responsible for outcomes. So my undergrad program was sexuality, marriage, and the family. And I entered the program at a great time. They were offering an extra year for an honors. And one of my most amazing projects was a project on BDSM. And it was so interesting to me. And I was so Can you like, elaborate on that for the... Yeah. Perspective? So bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Mm-hmm. And it was this interesting way. So there was a, at first I was like, well, this is like consensual abuse. And I really didn't right. know much about it. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and I knew I wanted to learn more about it. Mm-hmm. So I did. And I threw myself into the books and into the research and into the readings. And I did a project for my undergrad class, um, educating them about BDSM and yep. debunking the myths about BDSM. And I uh, invited three members of the local BDSM community to come and present alongside. Wow. Me. Yeah. It was so amazing. That would have been really eye opening. Eh? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it was, it was even interesting watching their dynamic because there was a Dom sub couple and then huh. there was a Dom that came by himself. Wow. And so the rules within the community were still at play during that presentation. So when the sub of the Dom sub couple touched, um, a whip I think that it was on the table of the individual dom that belonged to the individual dom that individual dom put him in his place and it was it was like it made the class kind of take a step back and like wow this is actually happening it felt very dramatic but it was real it was very mm-hmm. real and it just what an experience yeah it was so amazing so I then kind of wanted to go into the realm of like being a, a sex expert um and just kind of like experimenting more with this with this um, sexual self-expression. Mm-hmm. And I did the whole like apply to programs, get rejected, that kind of thing. I did that whole back and forth thing and, and um, eventually found a postgraduate program that kind of held me over until I, I applied for my social work degree. And the reason why I chose social work was because there was so much freedom. You could be clinical or you could work at a macro community level. Um, and this idea that 
as a social worker, I could be an active advocate for causes and um, concerns and awareness topics that mm-hmm. I was passionate about and tied into the work that I did. Mm-hmm. So like domestic violence, that was really important to me. Um, so I did some work with a local agency, volunteered, and I educated teenagers on um, healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. I did a practicum in a high school where I did more education on healthy relationships, safe partying, talking about the romanticizing of Hollywood movies like Twilight and how that's actually like abuse that's happening within the the characters dynamics and how we're glorifying this and romanticizing this relationship between um, somebody that, you know, the jealousy is being normalized or something like that. So I really tried to take my experiences and learn more and grow and apply it to um, help other people. And in the meantime, I had started dating somebody else um, who was that like fun, friendly, super like popular in terms of just like a happy-go-lucky guy. Um, Again, ended up being with him for a decent amount of time. He ended up being like not to pathologize, but he ended up being a pathological liar, stole a lot of money, um, was just kind of like one of another, one of those situations where, um, I have empathy looking back and, you know, if, if I ever were to run into him, which is very likely that I still do wish him the best, but it was again, one of those like learning experiences. Mm -hmm. So I had given up on relationships for a little while Mm -hmm. and I wanted to kind of like dive into a lot of self-expression and self-actualization, self-understanding and self-love. During this time, I also, in my work and digging a little bit deeper, I kind of started to confront my demons and my, you know, nuclear family and I started, you know, confronting my dad and telling him what I didn't like and it started lots of conflict so that relationship kind of paused for a little bit Mm -hmm. and um, I started bonding more with my mom Um, and also during this time um, I had found out that my um, dad was having an affair yeah so um, my mom had let me in that she uh, had found out that he had been having an affair Mm -hmm. with a woman that was local to his where his office was and um, lots of lies came Mm -hmm. to the surface and so then I kind of had to go on this new journey of healing Mm -hmm. where it's kind of like you know technically I was like 30 or 20 22 23 years old so as an adult so as an adult you would think you know your parents getting divorced especially after having such a um, dramatic childhood in terms of conflict in the family it would almost be like a relief and a part of me was like relieved that mm-hmm. finally the conflict wouldn't be there but mm-hmm. a part of me was also like this this can't be falling apart now like mm-hmm. come on and so I was angry at my mom I wanted it to I wanted her to take him back because I believed that he really did truly want the relationship to work anyways it unfolded that um, he just didn't put in the effort he was still seeing this woman who ended up being um his who who is his current girlfriend now they live together she's a very lovely woman 
uh, woman and I just needed time to accept. So this process and these tasks of grieving. So we talk about the stages of grief, but for me it's more, uh, and some of the literature will talk that like tasks, grieving comes in tasks. So I was sad. I was angry. I was, I was angry. I was in denial. Um, I did a phase of bargaining with myself and with my family, like, please just come back together as a family. Um, but from all of this, I knew that I never wanted this for my family. I never wanted my future with my partner and my child to ever experience this. Um, and it's so interesting to me because so many couples now that I see, um, are ending their relationships and there's this trend of people who are getting together at a younger age in their mid twenties, let's say, and having children are not necessarily picking people that they want to spend the rest of their lives with. Mm -hmm. So it, it's almost become something that as a culture, we should move towards accepting, like not kind of digging our heels in like divorce. People shouldn't be divorcing, but almost accepting this norm that, you know, it's just a thing. You, you have a relationship with somebody, you have children with them, but just know that these, this is probably not the person that you're going to spend the rest mm -hmm. of your life with unless you are both aware of that going in and you're both aware that um, that's a huge barrier and that you can be growing together and learning together and changing together, yeah. right? Well, that's it too. I think that you need to be able to grow with your partner as an individual and as a, as a couple, Yeah. right? And, and support and promote each other's growth in that. Totally. But I mean, I see people, same sort of thing as I mean, and maybe we're just at that age where we're starting to see those, those separations happen yeah. or the people that are getting together at a young age that you know, are kind of maintaining those habits from their younger years yeah. and are, and then they're not working as these people are growing and morphing. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so whether that be how they communicate, um, you know, certain people communicate in more of a passive aggressive way, or then, um, as they, as they increase their skills or enhance their skills or gain new skills, acquire new mm -hmm. skills, that they're able to communicate more effectively in a relationship and maybe their partner hasn't acquired yeah. the same kinds of skills or grown or morphed as they have. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're butting heads. Ten years down the road they're going, why isn't this working anymore? Well, yeah. someone's grown in a way that maybe hasn't promoted the other's growth. Um, but no, I, I totally see it too. Or that, you know, values that seem to have been so steadfast at the beginning of a relationship, you know, maybe there isn't as much emphasis put on to maintaining those values mm -hmm. or honoring those values totally. in a relationship as it grows. Yeah. And like we had talked about the term impression managing mm -hmm. and this idea that, you know, anytime we're really meeting anybody, whether it's an interview, whether it's, you know, meeting somebody for the first time to do a podcast, mm -hmm. whether mm -hmm. it's dating, there's this level of impression management that's happening because we want to be able to control or think that we're controlling how the other person is seeing us. That is so powerful. Now yeah. I, I'm aware that this happens. Mm -hmm. I'm aware that we all do this, but the term impression management to actually, I've written it down, you know, to see it, to hear it now, to talk about it and to understand it, to think of how, and you can reflect on it too. You can reflect on times yeah. that you've done it and actually be so aware of, Oh my gosh, you know, I really held back from saying this to this person because I didn't want them to get upset with me or think I'm crazy or, you know, laugh at me or whatever, but it can be, it can be deep. Yeah. It can be big, right? Mm -hmm. That you completely suppress who you are in in a relationship, in a friendship, like you say, at an yeah. interview. But that impression management, like, man, you're suppressing so much in that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. And it's like false advertising, right? Absolutely. You enter is. into a relationship with someone and you're like, but you were like this at the beginning. And, mm-hmm. and there are other elements that add to that. There are other like the excitement and the lust and the hormones. Like mm-hmm. those are all added in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's human nature for us to be liked. We want other mm-hmm. people to like us. That's mm-hmm. just human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and rejection is hard and criticism is hard and our mm-hmm. brains don't like to be criticized. Mm-hmm. Um, so we avoid it. We avoid pain and we avoid being uncomfortable at all costs. So we adapt ourselves to, to suit the needs of someone that we want to engage with in some capacity. We've all done it at some point. Mm-hmm. Totally we have. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. So then, so we'll come back to your storyline there. Um, so affair, parents had split. Yeah. Um, new girlfriend's pretty cool. So, so how did, how did all of this kind of even just help strengthen your vision of what you wanted in a partner or Mm. in a, in a forever relationship? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I knew that, um, I didn't want to be in a position that my mom was in. I didn't want to be in a relationship with someone, um, that couldn't communicate openly that, um, used intimidation that Mm -hmm. used, um, uh, that didn't value emotional expression. I, I knew that ultimately I wanted to raise my kids differently than I was raised. I mean, I appreciate the work ethic that I was taught and I appreciate the manners that I was taught. I was so polite as a kid and, you know, that's, um, all, transferred into being having great customer service I guess um, as an adult but there are parts of me that I've really had to work hard at learning especially with having a child of my own when it comes to emotional regulation and watching the way I say things um, not trying to suppress his need to express himself out of fear that other people are looking at me and I mean everybody feels that as a new parent um but when you have a a a father or a parent who does have narcissistic tendencies or narcissistic personality disorder this there's this other level of impression management Mm. because God forbid anybody see what's actually happening behind closed doors in your house and to the rest of the world it needs to look really shiny and perfect and Mm -hmm. white picket fence and that kind of thing, right? And they'll go out of their way to ensure that that's the image. And if their children or their partner disrupts that image, then, you know, there's a cost to that. That's like impression management to the extreme. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about unlearning these survival mechanisms that at one point served me as a child and that are now in, in an adult life would would not would no longer serve me and would do more damage than mm-hmm. anything else right mm-hmm. yeah so after you ended the relationship with the liar yeah exactly <laughs> let's call him the liar. the liar the liar yeah were you single for a little while and then started dating again yeah i was single so i did the whole like um the whole like love yourself go on you know day trips by yourself I had my dog so she was my best friend and she's seen like she's been there with me through it all Mm -hmm. and she's seen all like the crazies come in and out of my life Mm -hmm. um and so I just tried to really appreciate myself I read a lot of books I went to the gym I started working out I found the power of like exercise and mental Mm -hmm. health Mm -hmm. and the empowerment that comes with that um 
And then I was just like, uh, then I ended up meeting my now husband on Instagram. Which is so funny to me. Who the heck meets on Instagram? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe more people people than I recognize. Yeah. Yeah. So the story around that is um, hashtag gym life. I had posted a selfie. He had searched the hashtag gym life, found my picture, commented on it. We went back and forth. He gave me his number. Then we Skyped for like a month. He had a job interview just around the corner. So he lived about five hours away. He had a job interview just around the corner from where I was working. Uh, We met up. He stayed the weekend and then really only went home like two or three days at a time in between there. Mm -hmm. Um, I had graduated from school, couldn't find a job, moved out to eastern Ontario where he was from and uh, lived in his mom and stepdad's basement. Then we bought our house Uh, Then I got a job. Then we bought our house, um, uh, got pregnant, got married, had a baby. And it just kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. the storyline just unfolded from there. I realized that the community we were living in was not a community I wanted to raise my family in. Mm -hmm. Um, So we came back to this area, which is where I'm from. And we've been here since December. And I've just kind of been, again, on my own journey, like worked for the community agency doing the counseling there, felt really oppressed, felt um, felt a pressure of working for a community agency and not-for-profit, mm-hmm. didn't feel like I had a voice, understood that my personality isn't one to be like told what to do and uh, fall in line and uh, I'm more of a creative and I like to kind of like go with an idea that I have and Mm -hmm. I don't like to be stopped. Um, I can come across as bossy sometimes. It's it's assertive. Assertive. Yes. It's a great reframe. (laughs) Um, my sister will say bossy. Um, so I knew I needed to be an entrepreneur and I needed to be able to help the client population that I wanted to help so that I could be the best version of me. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I needed to not be burnt out. So Mm -hmm. therefore I needed to help them in the way that I wanted to, whether that was you know, in the way that I set the hours that I work, um, so that I can be the best mom I can be mm-hmm. and also be the best therapist I can be. I needed to surround myself with other therapists that mm-hmm. weren't my colleagues, but, um, also therapists that I could look to for help to be able to, um, supervise me through the hard, uh, files or just to kind of bounce personal things oh, for off sure of. that was be, that's really yeah. important for balance yeah. especially too because you're not just a clinical social worker you're also working in psychotherapy so as a clinical social worker i do the act of psychotherapy you do the active okay yeah so okay. like when we think about psychotherapy yes. that is like therapy so that stereotypical you sit on the couch Got i it. sit on the couch that is therapy okay so as a social worker you could work in a community and you could help you know homelessness or you mm-hmm. could help human trafficking as a clinical social worker chances are you're just the word clinical attached to the word social worker you're doing the act of psychotherapy okay yeah so that's it that is more of like the things that you would see you know yes. in Hollywood type thing where yeah. you're sitting and someone's sitting on a couch or recliner or something like that and you're talking them through yeah, things yeah yeah really interesting yeah so you've now established your own practice that way yeah so um when I was pregnant I felt very isolated living in this rural community French community didn't know anybody like Mm -hmm. I knew people but they weren't my people Mm -hmm. it's not really how I imagined my life being pregnant I felt very isolated I felt very alone couldn't really attend the mommy groups because most of them were my clients anyways it was Mm -hmm. such a small town um so then when I had my baby I I had like lots of postpartum rage 
not rage at my baby, rage at just like my living situation Mm -hmm. and the people around me. And I was just frustrated and irritable and I just wasn't living my best life. And I tried doing things like painting my living room like 16 times and buying new living room furniture and trying to control my physical environment Mm -hmm. to inspire me to be happy. I adopted meditation and I adopted yoga and, um, then back back to work time came I felt a lot of anxiety going back to work felt really restricted um, so I developed an online um, support system so my so my clients are online clients mm-hmm. and in-person clients yep. um, and that is because for me I I didn't have anybody to turn to because they were all my work colleagues so when I was suffering like ethically I can't be going to confide in somebody that I work with and so I'm like why isn't there more online support for perinatal mental health Mm -hmm. so I got certified or I got um, certification in in online therapy not that I really needed it but it was very helpful and uh, got specialized training in working with the perinatal uh, mental health population Mm -hmm. the maternal mental health population and I just kind of went from there and said when we moved here I just hit the ground running and said, you know, I've applied for all these jobs. I've gotten all of these interviews, haven't got called back. The number one reason why I didn't get called back was because I talked too much about my plans to create my own Mm -hmm. practice, Mm -hmm. which was not very appealing to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just knew that I needed to make something of myself. And if I was going to do it, I needed to be all in and not just have one foot out and one foot in. And so I I have office hours at two different in-office locations. And then on two days a week, I do online clients. And it's been so amazing. Like, I'm so happy. Mm -hmm. I give my clients the best version of me that is possible because I'm do I, I'm the creator of my life right now. Which is I'm, so wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I have nothing to be upset about. I'm so grateful for everything that's happened in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your podcast now ties mm-hmm. in really beautifully with that because now you're going to be able to share these insights yeah. and the practices of the different professionals that you're interviewing mm-hmm. and you're allowing that to just go into so many different people's ears and hearts yeah. right through your podcast. Yeah. What has been the response that you're receiving from the people that you're reaching out to to host, um, you know, or have as guests? Amazing. Yeah. Totally amazing. Like to the point where I, I probably should be vetting them a little bit more because I need to, I need to make sure that I stay in my lane. Like mm-hmm. I need to mm-hmm. make some kind of cohesiveness in terms of the guests that are coming in. Right. Um, but like we were talking before, like about storytelling, this Mm -hmm. idea that how therapeutic storytelling is. Absolutely. Everybody wants to tell their story. It's Mm -hmm. like to be asked to be on a podcast for most people is extremely exciting because Mm -hmm. it's a chance for your story to be told. Um, And there's healing around that storytelling. And I was, I was, we were talking earlier and I was saying like, storytelling is a part of um, indigenous cultures this oral conversation and metaphorical storytelling or autobiographical storytelling has always been a part of our species Mm -hmm. Um, and we moved away from that a little bit and we got into like um, autobiographies and things like that books if they could hear the little tick 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 it almost sounds like if you were to cracked pepper and like sprinkled pepper yes. or something like that on Her the floor turkey. she's got this cute little chihuahua dog it's the smallest dog i've ever seen in my life <laughs> it's a glorified squirrel and yeah. it name's ruby yes but yeah anyway keep going um 
um, we've moved away from this idea of, of oral storytelling and we've um, kind of adopted this written, written work through autobiographies and um, storybooks and things mm-hmm. like that. But with the rise of the podcast, we're moving back into this beautiful oral storytelling mm-hmm. world. And now, like like you even talked about, you, your podcast is reaching different continents. Mm-hmm. Like how amazing is that? Where yeah. before oral storytelling would really only travel within, you know, indigenous clans or... Um, uh, with with it would take a long time for it to travel a long distance essentially but with podcasts it's within seconds you can get it across the continent it's so true yeah we talked a little bit too about the importance of storytelling yeah and also stories that you tell yourself totally right so if you're telling yourself the same story over and over again whether it's positive or negative and this kind of comes almost right back to that law of attraction type thing whereas if you're telling yourself positive, uplifting, optimistic, positive, happy stories over and over again, Mm -hmm. you know, that's more likely to continue actualizing itself. Whereas if it's, um, I'm broke, I'm sad, I'm unhappy, I'm frustrated, my body hurts. Um, you know, I'm not worthy of love. Uh, who would ever love me? These kinds of things. Or like you said too, about, you know, you're reliving those traumas, but we'll get to that too. That'll be next because mm-hmm. when you're telling yourself these same stories over and over again, they're often from memories. Yeah. Right. So how does that link into working backwards to slightly change a memory? Yeah. So this idea of reprogramming our brain and identifying like which conversations are the strongest or the most prominent in our brain. Those are the thickest, the strongest, the Mm -hmm. biggest neural pathways, the strongest connections that our brain is making. So if we can identify those and then work hard to replace those automatic thoughts Mm -hmm. um, with something more positive. And so this idea of um, narrative therapy and this idea of being the creator of your story and going back and thinking about something traumatic that happened, but reliving it in a way where you have control over the outcome. So for example, if you were, um, thinking about a memory of in your childhood where, you know, you were forced into your room and your room was just like this horrible place and you were never allowed out. If we could go back there and we could make your room this really beautiful, comfy, cozy place and that's the way you remembered it and that's the way you told the story from that point on Mm -hmm. with this beautiful new memory of your room, not this like dungeon of a place, Mm -hmm. then that changes a lot. That changes how you remember things. That kind of makes it more peaceful for you to be able to let go yeah I love that and the narrative the narrative aspect of it is something that you can work with your clients to kind of figure out what narratives have they been telling themselves over and over totally. again yeah and you can kind of get that sense when they're in therapy um, you can understand you know what their automatic thoughts are when you hear their stories and you hear them tell their stories mm-hmm. um, you can pick up which spots are the most emotional for mm-hmm. them I think there's so much of an emphasis or there has been more of an emphasis more recently putting on the importance of normalizing this lingo and this language that we're yeah. using about mental health, yeah. about trauma, yeah. about, you know, what makes us tick? What makes us happy? Why does it make us happy? What, mm-hmm. what stories, like you say, are we telling ourselves over and over again? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why even a, a podcast interview or a conversation like this is so important because the value that you put on, well, obviously, because it's your job and your career, mm-hmm. but the importance and value that you have towards 
therapy itself yeah and how it has helped shape you yeah and those in your life yeah and just pulling the stigma away from it like why is it that people are so against the word therapy or going to therapy it's almost as if it's got such a negative connotation yes you know it means something is wrong yeah. as opposed to maintaining a positive mental state or mental health. Yeah. It's almost as if something is wrong, therefore you need this. Whereas it's so much more productive than that. Yeah. And you know what? Even within the world of therapy, even within therapists mm-hmm. and people that practice this, there is still a stigma. We are trained and we are taught that self-disclosure needs to be done very strategically. And it does because you you need to be aware of what you're bringing into the room every time you're with a client, which mm-hmm. is why going to therapy yourself and working through your own stuff is really important. But... There are some schools of thought that say there should be no self-disclosure whatsoever at all. And then there are other schools of thought that say a little bit of self-disclosure is okay. And I think it really comes down to the individual and what the purpose of sharing is. So we're always taught, why are you sharing this information? Are you sharing it because it's good for you? Or are you sharing it because you think that your client can benefit from it? And so even in this kind of modality of a podcast, you know, a therapist would really struggle with this idea that, um, yeah, I've just self-disclosed a lot Mm -hmm. and a lot of my clients don't know this life about me. And is this going to affect how my clients see me or how my clients work with me? And you know, at the end of the day, um, it's going to make the difference between, uh, people seeking me out because they feel seen or heard or they know that I can relate in some capacity mm-hmm. or feeling like, oh, you know what, I just feel like, you know, she would not understand my situation. No, I think there is such a power and vulnerability. Yeah. And I really think that that relatability for someone who's been in the dumps or has, you know, experienced something specific. Yeah. Right. That relatability. And we're seeing it already. Like we were talking about how already in this podcast, you know, it's on in 25 different countries yeah. that people are reaching out to the guests. Yeah. Which and is like, amazing. I know. And so amazing. And I, I kind of pictured this happening, but not to this caliber this quickly. And those messages and that relatability, you know, you think, you know, someone, mm-hmm. but it's almost like you gain a completely new level of respect for them yeah. when you know where they've been Yeah, and, and that they're not like you were saying about how it's like white privileged women, you know, nine years of education, you've got a very successful career started, you've got, you know, beautiful experiences throughout your life, you're growing your family, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so so many people can't relate to that. So many people can, yeah, for sure. But the ones that can't can now relate better if they've experienced the lows that you've experienced, right? They're like, man, she's been through some stuff and has still... Exactly. Yeah, and the difference between a good therapist and a therapist that still needs to work through things is how much of that did they bring in their room and how much of that did they make about themselves in therapy, Mm -hmm. right? I think you're absolutely right that if someone, you know, a therapist, you're going to this person and you're obviously, as a client, you're you're the one seeking help. Mm -hmm. So I guess depending on what you would be hoping to know you receive verbally or even emotionally, mentally from the therapist. Yeah. You know, I can imagine too that people, the the, the therapists themselves that are still working through things. Yeah. I guess it's natural human instinct, wouldn't it be? Of course. Yes. It's the difference between like knowing when 
to refer a client out because this is too much for you at this time in your life because uh -huh. you haven't worked through it. Got it. And not letting your ego take over and be like, you know what, I got it, I can work through it, no mm -hmm. big deal, right? Because that happens, right? At the end of the day, this is our bread and butter too. Mm -hmm. So turning people away affects our ego, mm -hmm. affects our income. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really this place of use of self and lots of training around being able to identify where are your triggers, where are the areas that maybe you haven't worked through that are still really like a sore spot for you that you can't work with. That comes back to the, the team that you've got around you too, yeah. right? Whether you're working out of an office or by yourself or the network even that you would have online yeah. that you can just kind of bounce ideas around mm -hmm. maybe and just kind of bring that balance back into your own practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What helps keep you centered? Exercise, yeah. huge, yeah. Um, and also, you know, we talk a lot about in life, we talk about work-life balance. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I can put my child to bed every night mm -hmm. and not have to work late, I can pick him up from daycare, I can take him to daycare, I can spend weekends with my family, that is so important to me. Yeah. Like, that is a huge priority to me. Yeah. And half, essentially half the reason why I left the agency not-for-profit setting because I just felt so locked in. Yeah. So I needed to be the, I just knew I could give my clients so much more if mm -hmm. I was more content with my work situation. It's, I always tell my students that I'm a high school teacher and I always tell them that too. If I am not looking after me, mm -hmm. I can't be the best me for you. No, I'm not bringing my best self through the doors, no. right? For you guys. And I'm not a mom, mm -hmm. right? So I can't imagine what that's like because you'd have to keep yourself in check to continue making sure that you can be the best mom. But also if your yeah. home life, you know, is, is balanced and is what you're making of it, you know, you can bring your best self to work into totally. your clients yeah. for sure. And the other piece of this is my husband's so amazing because, you know, he doesn't have this background of therapy and post-secondary education and you know, he works surface miner and, and he works with heavy machinery and his job isn't very like intellectually stimulating or emotionally stimulating. It's probably the opposite, very numbing, mm -hmm. but he comes home and he listens to the podcast and he engages cool. and he watches the Brene Brown and he's just extremely engaged with, I mean, not with my clients because obviously it's confidential, but with the work that I do in general. So like the articles that I post and the information and the, and the, you know, trade shows that I go to, mm -hmm. he's not necessarily front and center, but he picks up on things. And so yeah. he'll come home from work and be like, you know, I had the last 12 hours at work. I listened to like four, four different podcasts. So this is what I learned about anxiety. And of course it's already stuff that I know, but I just kind of like let him out of the floor and For I sure. see what he's, what he's grasping onto and yeah. where he's growing and where he's connecting the dots. So it's amazing. That kind of support speaks yeah. volumes. Totally. Yeah. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. What are your next steps for your practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's start there. I was gonna say practice and podcast, but let's start with practice. So I realized that there, I can only see so many clients mm -hmm. so many days. Yep. I totally get that. Um, the great thing about therapy is that as a ther uh, my perspective as a therapist is that I want people out of therapy as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't want you know, I don't want somebody to be codependent on their therapist for seven years, three years even is too mm -hmm. much, two years even. I would like to kind of get them in and out as fast as possible. I also understand that most people that use benefits only have a certain amount of money that they can use per year of mm -hmm. benefits. So I know that, that I can only see a certain amount of clients per day and then I start cycling through clients, which is amazing. 
but I want, I want to lift these restrictions. So right now I'm restricted to only working with clients within Ontario because that's the state that I'm, or that's mm -hmm. the province that I'm licensed in. Mm -hmm. Um, however, I'm going to move towards a, an online learning hub where I can take these concepts that I see, you know, sprinkled throughout almost every session and present them in a online learning capacity where people can watch with their partner or watch, you know, on their lunch break at work and kind of just soak in this information, maybe even before they go to therapy. So they have a great foundation mm -hmm. or, um, in parallel to therapy so that they are kind of like doing this work on the side educating birth workers around mm -hmm. mental health stuff because that's really important yeah. too um yeah so my practice is going to expand from not just you know individual sessions but to this online learning hub essentially awesome. yeah so then with your podcast even yeah. then too so your podcast is still going to maintain that balance between you sharing things that you're learning yeah or your own stories um yeah. your own growth development that kind of thing yeah um and bringing that back to center almost like lessons really i guess yeah. maybe lessons that you've learned things that you can share yeah and then also with guests yeah so like essentially the podcast i see it as you know you only have so many characters to talk about something on instagram half the time people don't really read your captions anyways mm -hmm. they're just kind of mindlessly double clicking on a picture that their brain registers that they right. like type thing. So if I can take that content that I only have, you know, like 300 characters to write and I can expand that to a 60 minute podcast mm -hmm. session. Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, definitely. When you're talking about trying to maintain a type of guest, mm -hmm. so you mentioned chiropractors, you know, you've yeah. got a, a psychic. Yeah what else do you see kind of bringing forward or, or what are your biggest goals for guests or yes, careers, I titles, things question. like that? Yeah. So, um, I was brought back to this place where when I was doing my undergrad presentation on BDSM, mm -hmm. I had jumped on a website called FetLife. I had no idea what I was doing. I kind of just like jumped on this web website. It was a forum. It was like the fetish uh, BDSM community and I just kind of put myself out there at the time and I said hey I'm looking for guest speakers so something like triggered that memory in me and I'm like I'm gonna do this for my podcast so jumped on FetLife it's completely different than what I remember mm -hmm. like lots of very graphic photos just kind of in your face right away mm -hmm. and I put it out there and I said I want to hear from the parents who are struggling with who, who have struggled with or who are struggling with this identity of, you know, being a parent, and, but also being a member of the kink or BDSM community. And what have you done to either um, bridge those two identities mm -hmm. or have you laid one identity to rest? Have you laid the, you know, the kink or the BDSM identity to rest? How did you incorporate that into your pregnancy and your postpartum period? Um, how did you negotiate that with your partner or partners? So that's one area that I would love to have a guest in. Really interesting. Yeah. The other area, um, plural, um, consensual non-monogamy. So like plural relationships, mm -hmm. polyamory, open relationships. So consensual non-monogamy being like the umbrella term and then a bunch of things falling underneath that. So having a guest on talking about those kinds of relationships mm -hmm. and, and what it is and what it isn't and debunking those myths. Um, again, this isn't mainstream, so let's talk about it. Um, and then I'm hoping to have a guest speaker from Guelph uh, talk about being a mom and the use of cannabis and CBD oil mm -hmm. in terms of wellness and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then really essentially if it falls into the category of like deemed radical or non-mainstream and it has to do with wellness, then I want to talk about it. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. If we cycle back and wrap up the importance of storytelling, um, storytelling in general, like we talked about just even with the indigenous communities and, and cultures, and I mean, even having spent some time in Africa, it was really special too. And yeah. even, even when I was living in the Northern Territory of Australia, I was really lucky to be surrounded by um, a, a culture there that was so near and dear to my heart and I actually talk with, or taught within their community. Mm-hmm. And being able to sit down with these kids and hear their stories yeah. and their grandparents' stories and great-grandparents' stories was so special. So if you'd like to add anything about the importance yeah. of storytelling, I'd love that. So the idea that hearing someone's story can feel very encouraging to others Mm -hmm. and it's proof that we're not alone. It gives us hope. It forms bonds and solidarity. We're we're seeing that all the the time, eh? Yeah. 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 This idea of like the sisterhood, right? Yeah. We're able to share tools and strategies Mm -hmm. and coping mechanisms. You know, what might work for me, what may work, you know, what worked for me may work for you or Mm -hmm. it might not Mm -hmm. and take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, and when we are telling our stories, we're giving it away to help others. We are like, here's my gift to you. Here's my story. And hopefully my story inspires you or motivates you or mm-hmm. plants a seed for you in whatever yeah. capacity it can. And we talked about the indigenous people and telling their stories. And this idea that knowing that you're a part of something bigger. I love that. Um, and this movement that we're kind of move like we're movement that we're moving towards this, mm-hmm. you know, de- ending the stigma of mental health mm-hmm. or um, accepting it and embracing it. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Support. 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 Yes. Yeah. Um, words have such a positive power. Mm-hmm. So y- you're even though you're telling the story and it's your story, people who have experienced what you've experienced feel seen and heard. So mm-hmm. you're giving them a voice, even yes. though it's your voice. It, this is, this is essentially, you know, the safe haven podcast, but also yours, yeah. which we'll talk about after this yeah. is, um, it's very much helping. Like we talked about normalizing, yeah. but it's also, I feel like this is what my goal is. My hope, my dream is that it's allowing people to feel empowered to share yes. or it's starting the conversation. It's like, you know, did you hear, um, China shells podcast on postpartum depression? It's like, yeah. Oh my gosh, wow. That really resonated with me because, and yes. then they're starting a conversation about it. Yes. Yes. And ending the isolation. You got it. Yeah. Um, finding our own voice, aids mm-hmm. in recovery, uh, learning self-expression, thinking for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, the event, the events that we go through, even the bad ones are a part of our stories. So yes, we might not want to, you know, completely revolve our identity around the bad things that happen to us. It's not productive to do that, but they are still a part of what brought us to this point in our life. Mm-hmm. So kind of going back to this narrative and rewriting the narrative to see those negative events in a more positive light. Right. Sometimes we learn about ourselves from telling stories where we focus our attention on um, when it comes to certain events where, you know, we might focus on this thing more than another thing and just being aware of that also helps to clarify what's important to us and what our priorities are in life. Mm, priorities and values. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, and then finding peace through storytelling. So letting go of the traumas and the hardships mm-hmm. and sending them outwards into the universe so that they're not locked inside of our body. And this like idea of having a somatic experience mm-hmm. from the traumas that we go through and storing yes. them within our body. Yeah. And so how can we let go of these stories? Mm-hmm. And when we create... Um, when, when we give our stories a voice and we give our experiences a voice, our stories are literally, you know, if you want to like visualize it, the words are kind of forming together to create sentence. The letters are forming together to create words. The words are forming together to create sentences and then paragraphs. And then they're exiting our mouths Mm -hmm. and they're entering the ears of all the people that are listening. And Mm -hmm. then we are, we are physically and spiritually letting go of our stories. Yeah. Yeah. Release. Yeah. It is a lot of it released. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've loved this, by the way. <laughs> so where can people find you online? What's your podcast called? What's yeah. your Instagram handle? As my son walked into the room. So podcast. Hi. Yes, Hi, buddy. Look at So, okay. So yeah. Instagram handle. Uh, Instagram is at mind online therapy. M-I-N-D-O-N-L-I-N-E <laughs> therapy. Yeah. I'm going to write this on the bottom of the notes too. Yeah. Okay, so Mind Online Therapy. Yeah, and the website is mindonline.ca, and that's where you can contact to book a session if you're in Ontario. Um, Benefits usually cover, if you're looking for benefits to cover anything, it's for Masters of Social Work, Social Worker. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have a Facebook page that you maintain? Yeah, Facebook is uh, Mind Online Mental Wellness, I believe it is. Okay. Uh, and the podcast is the social Mommy. detox. Yes, lovey. Okay, I'll help you in one minute. Yeah. Okay. Um, the the podcast is social detox. Detox spelled D E T A L K S. Podcast. Um, there's not much on there in terms of Instagram right now, but there will be once things start getting released, and I'll probably do like show notes on Instagram. Just yeah, for sure. It's easier to and, do it that Well, way. absolutely. And I can even just make as, as you update, I'll just make sure that that's updated at the bottom of this. Yeah. Cool. The notes. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Ashley, for this. thank you. <laughs> thank you. This has been. And I just want all of your listeners to know like what extent that you are going to <laughs> to get these stories. Because if they don't know, like she is traveling left, right, and center to get these stories and meet with these people. And it's so inspiring and you're not getting paid for it. This is all on your own dime. You're a teacher. So you're not working the summer. You could be doing something, you know, that would be deemed as like more, um, I want to say like where you're earning an income, but Mm -hmm. this is more important for you. Yeah. This to, to bear witness. And that's another piece of storytelling, bearing witness to somebody's stories. And that's what I do in therapy all the time. Mm -hmm. I bear witness to people's stories and I know for them, it's important to have somebody bear witness and that's what you're doing. So you might not be a therapist, but you're acting very therapeutically, therapeutically and allowing these people to tell their stories. I appreciate that so much (laughs) because honestly, the people that know me, they know that I get excited easily. It's like flying. Flyer day, I'm like, yeah, flyers. <laughs> or, you know, I get a postcard in the mail. Or, uh, you know, my underwear matches my shirt or something like that. And I'm pumped about it. Like, yeah. I get excited. But I've never been this excited about anything. Yeah. And the fact that I... That's awesome. The fact that I believe in this podcast with every fiber of my being yeah. is just... And you can tell. Yeah. It, it's really lit me on fire, for sure. So well, I appreciate you. that so Thank much. Thank you. Okay. All right. 
Thank you, everybody, yeah, for Yeah, thank listening. you. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Safe Haven Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure that you subscribe, like, share these episodes, and comment as you follow along. <laughs> your generous support keeps the sharing and messages coming your way. You can find the Safe Haven Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Podbean. You can also follow along on Instagram at the Safe Haven Podcast for the latest updates. I'll talk to you next week.